Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is another exciting week of Take Two. The election is over with. We all agree that this might be the longest week in our entire lives. November 11th. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us. And we still don't even know the balance of power. This is Heidi Hatch with KUTV2 News. Greg Hughes in the house. Hello. And Mara Carabello. Happy Veterans Day. Yes, oh, that's happy right. Veterans Day. Land of the free because of the brave. Um, the interesting thing about, and thank you to all who serve, my father spent 20 years in the military. I have a brother that's in the Air Force. Uh, do you have family members who are military? No? Cousins. Cousins. Not immediate family. Yeah. How about you, Greg? I do. My my grandmother and grandfather met when they were both in the Navy during my World War II. was in the Navy. And, uh, and I, I love that. I, I love my grandfather served on the USS Kidd. It's a destroyer that's a museum in baton rouge louisiana that i visited and anyway i my uncle uh denny was in the navy uh during world during vietnam didn't serve in vietnam but repaired the damaged uh choppers and things like that anyway i have i've always since a young age have been aware and my grandfather that uh, was in the army uh on you know creating the burma trail or the road for supplies during mm. the war anyway I've, I've always heard those stories growing up from my grandparents and my uncle and i've always revered uh our armed forces because of it. I'm jealous if everyone has the cool grandparent stories yeah. um, in the military. My grandfather um, was in the military, but he was with the Royal Dutch Air Force, so at least he was on the right side. But he never <laughs> told, told a lot of stories because there's so many who've served that just, they want to leave where it was and they never want to talk about it. You, so. you know what, Heidi? The stories I have were not really from my grandparents themselves. They, were, they, they like your grandparents, um, they were probably a little bit more veiled or a little more vague about yeah. it but then you research and then i would research the uss kid the destroyer um yeah. and what what it saw by way of combat it had a, he was on there when a kamikaze hit their plane it didn't sink the ship but it, it killed many people and it, but he was in the crow's nest and directing the the fire of the of the guns on the ship and but those were not stories he told me those were the ones i had to research and then ask my grandmother about but i'm glad you asked uh, this is a reminder for anyone who's listening if you still have whether it's parents or grandparents or family members who've served, sit them down, ask them some questions. I think sometimes you're young before they pass and go on and yeah. your brain's right. thinking of yourself more than others. And then you wish you would have. So if you have them around, you know, ask them some I, questions. Again, to that point, I won't belabor this, this segment, but my uncle Denny, uh, there was a story that my cousin who's it's his dad. Mm -hmm. He told him just recently after all these years after uh, that war, that was pretty, um, uh, pretty traumatic and one that we'd never heard before and only came up recently between a father and a son about that war and about the condition of one of the choppers he repaired and it was humbling and it was one that took a long took decades to actually even share so i think it is i think you should if you have you have those family members that have served this country or have been in the military been veterans uh, there's a lot for us to learn about sacrifice and the importance of our country and who fought for it and those sacrifices make it so we can have these free and fair elections that we have just wrapped <laughs> up. So, free, fair, yes. and confusing elections. I, yes. I, I'll just 
there. So I want to start local first. Um, obviously, the biggest race we were all talking about was Senator Mike Lee. And um, as of today, he's at 55%. Evan McMullen at just over 41%. And when you look at it, uh, the spread is 4,800 484,000 votes Mike Lee has right now to 365,000 for Evan McMullen. So this was not a close race. It was called very early in the night. Um, Evan McMullen um, conceded. It was a little later than I expected. I guess that was probably close to 11 o'clock-ish. Mara, uh, you get to go first on this one. I don't think any of us here expected him to win, but did you expect him to lose by as much as he did or is still losing? Interestingly enough, I have to acknowledge he outperformed. I thought he would tap at 38. I was wondering if you were going to mention that because I I was with you. (laughs) I had been predicting a 38 or a 39%. So Mm. I have to say he was at 40. We're not... We're not at the canvas count yet, but I think he'll stay there. So he actually did better than I expected him to do. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. To Evan, well done. I mean, so he did a couple percentage points. Uh, Voter turnout was lower than I thought it would be because the spend on this assured us that this did not go unnoticed, right? I mean, it's a midterm between the um, conversation nationally and the money spent locally, it was not an unnoticed midterm. And yet, I think top of the ticket meant that they did not capture our attention. Neither of those candidates were particularly inspiring. And I say particularly. I'm not saying they or weren't at all. Or even if they all. caught the attention, it didn't, it didn't motivate. motivate. Yeah. yeah. So I thought turnout was uh, a little bit su- suppressed, actually, a little low. Now, it's not historic lows, but it is along the same it is low we don't have the overall numbers yet but at 45 percent at six o'clock on election night that's insane to me but when you were looking and breaking down the numbers we don't have the totals here it looked like independents and democrats who we were talking about last week really had to turn out if they wanted evan mcmullen to win they didn't turn out which says to me they weren't fired up by their candidate which asks the question and begs the question you know can anyone run? Because I think they were trying to build a mold or a plan, you know, that other independents could run. So the question is, does this kill this for others or does this leave the door open? Do you feel like, Greg, that other independents can build off this and say, okay, I've got somewhere to go with this now? I think it was from day one, Evan McMullen's race was very much an experiment to see if a competitive independent uh, candidate uh, could do could perform better than a than a Democrat in the, in the race, and I think that serves a couple of uh, either current public servants like a Mitt Romney, if he could circumvent the re- Republican nomination in a primary and and perform well as an independent uh, it for could, a presidential election. No, for a Senate, for a reelection in mm. the Senate, or uh, for a McAdams who's been elected uh, by a large large swath of Utah, but with the Democrat uh, Party moniker, you know, how could he? potentially be competitive in a statewide race. I think that was a plan from day one. I think that the narratives, even coming out after he's lost, after Evan McMullen lost by double digits and 15 points or whatever it is, I think there are still some trying to argue that that that's been a successful uh, race. I don't think it is. And I think one of the reasons why is I think you have, I've heard from friends that are Democrats that they feel some buyer's remorse in that, that they performed very well in Salt Lake County and feel like this is that they do not want to be relegated to a third-party status in a statewide race, and they'd like to see their candidates continue to build coalitions and grow. So I don't think you're going to get a willing party, Democrat party, to do what happened in this last last election cycle. And I don't think the I don't think what the outcome. They can call it a moral victory all day. 
15 points is not a is not a strong is not even a close race so it was weird because, i don't think it worked yeah because most democrats who and i think it's probably twitter democrats because i i think people who are more i guess left-leaning seem to be active on twitter to me at least from what i see and they were pushing very hard um for the concept of senator mike lee be, of not senator mike lee like anything but yes. mike lee but the thing is is that usually as a voter what gets me out voting for someone is you know no one's going to 100% be what you want them to be, but do they at least, you know, stand or push for some of the things important to you? And I think if you look nationally, there were a lot of people who wanted, um, I think abortion rights or um, bodily autonomy were important. And that was something that if you felt strongly about, there was no one to vote for in this race because Evan McMullen wasn't it, Senator Mike Lee wasn't. And so then I think you had all these people who wanted to care about someone sitting at home because they didn't care. I think that's right. I think these were two unique candidates made it hard to find consensus. So one is, I think you are particularly vulnerable um, to a challenge when you're Mike Lee because he's so clear on who he is. Mm -hmm. And so that is either appealing or not appealing. Right. I am where, who I am. Yeah. Where yes. Mitt Romney, I mean, if I were, if this was a test for Romney, what it would say to me is he will do better staying in the party of which he comes from yes. because there was clarity. And to your point, there were Two things being sold with McMullen, um, I say of left of center, he was too conservative for me. And I, I don't want just an art. I don't, I want to, I'd rather have someone I understand where they're coming from, where I felt like he was tricky about where he was coming from. And they had given up. And if you look at Democratic performance, I mean, the good news, I would say, if I'm looking for a silver lining, Democrats, go be Democrats, you know? Like, yes. Uh, but one thing that was really interesting is his targeting was good. Uh, I think where Democrats were torn is who was really running his race. Um, the staff was all Democratic staff. They were Democratic operatives. Ben McAdams went all in on this race. He did. Add did Jenny Wilson. Yes. They put in their equity there. Um, but I think it was a little bit confusing results. What was also interesting just from the insiders with our listeners is that, and, and, and again, I've been in these rooms, so from a, a tactical point of view, it was really good. But from what separates reality from spin, you saw the McMullen campaign tactically very smart, declaring victory the morning, declaring a moral victory, yes. not winning, yes. but saying, oh, this was successful. Here's why it was successful. Here's why, which is why the insider should be assured that this was a clearing a test balloon because of how consistent the messaging has been starting on the morning in uh, it, in, in but it wasn't successful when you look at the numbers no. because exactly. Democrats but have been can, more successful. I can show exactly. you an editorial in, in the Deseret News that argued that this was a grand success. It was the greatest uh, Senate statewide November Senate race since uh, Frank Moss and, and what, uh, Orrin Hatch. So, there, but, so oh, Mara's whipping out the numbers. I know, so, so I did that, some fun yeah. calculations. So there's people that are still trying to sell Utahns on the perception that this was an incredible victory. When it just flat out, the numbers don't bear that out. So this is just what all of us listening do, which is you start to just noodle on things. This is a little bit of a, you know, a clementine to an orange. I'm not going to give it that it's an apple to an orange. But let's just look at raw numbers, which a is clementine. not how. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a mini orange. Yeah. yeah. So, but it's different. <laughs> so it so I'm going to compare the two Mike Lee races. The okay. 2016 race, Misty Snow. She was also historic because she was the first uh, trans woman to run for U.S. Senate in, in Utah. Then we go forward to the 2022 election. It was unique because he had an unaffiliated um, With $30 challenger. million. Dollars. 
dollars spent in yeah, the race. Yeah, so this is this is again what was interesting. Misty Snow raised seventy two thousand dollars three hundred and eighty five three so seventy two thousand bucks. And Evan McMullen, not I'm not counting out external packs. The McMullen campaign, pretty close to six million. The Mike Lee campaign in this race is about eight point three million loosely. So in twenty sixteen the, the voter turnout was much higher. It was a presidential year. So that's where it deviates. That was our 90 percentile but vote. many yeah. a challenger makes the... only was the 90, ar- though. Was it 90s in 16? No, oh, no, 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 that was no. It was in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. It, was it was in the 70s. 70. It was low 70s. Okay. And so many a challenger makes the argument when you've moved from a small race to a big race, you've said, hey, but here's all the people who have voted for me yeah. in the past. That's how you suggest viability. Misty Snow got just over 300,000 votes, 301,000 votes. She spent $72,000. Her cost per vote was 24 cents. It's a good deal. Evan McMullen's vote so far, we don't know where he'll end up, but he's at, last time I checked, which in fairness was a couple days ago, he was about 314, I think, 314,000. And so his cost per is just about 1950 mid 19s. Mike Lee's cost per is about $20 per vote. Uh, yeah, and then that's not including the the the, the packs that came in and how much they spent, which there wasn't any pack money coming in in that 16 race. So you can take that money spent per vote and probably double it um, on each side. That's so I think the point Mara you're making is that if a democrat's a democrat and they go fight the good fight, and they build from the coalition that they clearly have in Salt Lake County, and they work their way out. You know, the cycles come. I mean, there were times that, that states were not solidly one color or the other, and these times do arrive. Stay in your party. I mean, this idea that you're going to give it up. Uh, I have joked to many, I would make a better Democrat Party chair, not being a Democrat, but believing in parties, uh, than, than what we have right now, where if they you- gave it up, and they let some. And it's not just the votes. It's the votes that didn't show up. I have to believe that the chilling effect and a low voter turnout was because it wasn't a compelling race. If you are, if your complete uh, campaign infrastructure is on the Democrat side, uh, but as Mara said, I don't know that you're, I think you're too conservative, but then the ads say uh, McMullen's voting for uh, Biden in 20, you know, in 2020. Uh, you are you are nothing to anyone. Instead of being everything to everyone, you're turning out to be nothing to anyone because neither side is really excited about what you're what you're trying to say. The other thing that skews this is, in my mind, Lee is as weak of a challenger they're going to find. I'm not I'm not despair. I'm just saying when you look. Well, yeah, when you're that when you're that pronounced in your position, yeah, so I'm, you, again, you can build I'm not a lot of people that him as a that person. Position. Yes, and so that's my definition of weak. But yeah. so that was the best chance. When you do run for a party chair, though, I, I just need to say that it's the Democratic Party. Not the Democrat Party. So I'm just know, you when have party me on chair, this all the time. When your party chair is, oh, like when I'm party chair, I have to get that. I have to put that IC you need at to the do end. Do that right. Yeah. Are you going to be the party chair? Well, I, I, I would, I would it. say to you, hey, folks, if you guys want to be a third party, uh, I think it doesn't help our our system to have. I think we need two strong parties in the state and country. I don't think we do better to have a, a uniparty. I don't. So I would argue that the Democrats need to be strong and trying to win races. I think the battle of ideas is important. I fundamentally do. So should the PACs come in and back the Misty Snows? What would happen if they did? Put you money. Know? I mean, Misty Snow was a unique outlier. But when you look at the other candidates, uh, Scott Matheson, uh, you know, we've had uh, Ben McAdams. I mean, we've had the ability yeah. to have really centrist people, which mm-hmm. actually do reflect the electorate quite well. Utah Democrats reflect the electorate well because they tend to be moderates, particularly for statewide races. Yeah. And you, you do wonder, had people doubled down on a candidate that has a better 
brand clarity if that would have been. Evan make enough money he can pay back his debts? That's the thing my friend is wondering. Heavens no. If you're not paying your your 2016 debts back, there's whoever those vendors are, I hope they know the the climate that they're operating in. I don't think this is the last we've heard of Evan. Oh, you got to be kidding. Seriously? I I wouldn't be surprised if That was my question. What's he going to run for? But he's, you know what, he just feels like, and I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to be really maybe too rude here. He feels like more of a sock puppet candidate that I've ever seen because many of us have been to the chambers of commerce. Many of us have done the circuits that public servants uh, find themselves on in terms of meetings or groups, organizations that you, you will interact, you know, interact with. He's nowhere. If he has been to one chamber of commerce meeting, if he's been to something, I've never seen him, and I can't find anyone from either side of any party that's ever seen him engaging with large groups of interest, whether they be commerce, whether they be uh, political. No one sees him. He parachutes in with an incredible amount of money. He has great contacts and and networks and fundraising, and that's where, for me, it begins and ends. I I don't see him anywhere in our community here in the state of Utah. Nowhere. I agree with that, so it'll be really interesting (laughs) if he chooses a, I just because i don't think he's How done do so i am like time. the big question about where and a big question about do you integrate now more into the community yeah that's so, the big question I mean, because he came in here at the last second as a um basically i'm not trump and i'm going to be you know yeah. a cleaner version and this time i think he came in as i'm not lee so i think if he's going to run he's got to run on who he is and yes. so the question is who who is evan mcmullen I don't know. I guess we'll find out. I don't think out. the CIA trained him to let you know that question. I don't <laughs> think you're allowed to know. I, I do think have some that's interesting why about his what life endeavor provides such uh, anonymity. All right. <laughs> hey, we- but let me just say lastly, I said last last week that I was either going to spike the ball or eat crow, and I never meant towards any of the ones in the mm, podcast okay, here. Thank you. But I was highly frustrated that mo- all polls that we watched uh, never had this as a close race, had it as a double-digit lead for Senator Lee, but we had one source one news source one polling source that kept saying this could be six points four the points, two news points. Hinkley report is yes that, what you're talking about? that and ksl i mean they have the they share the same newsroom which is unique in our market to have your newspaper and your your television in the same room but that was the only source that we saw in the state of utah that was saying this was a close race and i found it to be more electioneering than i did informing the public where this race was given how much of an outlier it was and so I wanted to be able to call that out, and if it was true, and I said, "Look, if it's if it's a close race, then I was wrong. I don't believe I was wrong. I think that race was the double digit that everybody else was seeing and reporting on, and it was never the close race that 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 newsroom wa- and its pollster was trying to tell." Do the we people. know how and why they got it wrong, or is that another question for uh, another well, day? It's, it, you go to motivation there. I I have no, my theories you don't of motivation. Go to motivation. I said I have my theories. Got- I'll leave them. T- I'll keep them to myself. Okay. So it is I a it's a profit center though. It's good to have a a, a perceived oh, close ratio. Okay, you, get a lot, you make debunk. a lot of money on advertising. I'm going to debunk. We're going to have a little whistle for conspiracy, but <sighs> I, it was know, a it was I, a really good word. night. I had a good night, Greg. Uh, constitutional amendment a dead. I agree. I, dead. I voted against that. I'm with you. You did. We shared 64% that. Sixty-four percent were against yeah. it, which yeah. is a good thing because it was like, what are we doing here? And yeah. if someone wants to sell it, I still believe they should have come out there and sell, sold me on why they needed that extra money I and ability to spend such it. Such an interesting interview. <laughs> I, I shouldn't. Ask. It was a senator and a House member, and the reporter was like, "Okay, tell us about this." And the House member was like, Meh, "I mean, if you feel like doing it," and the senator was like, "Meh, if you feel like doing it." I was like, "Wow, that's a weird <laughs> position." So you guys I don't know. are I went even to the, that excited. I went to the Republican. Uh, uh, 
you know, the, the ballroom, the election night thing. And I had a couple of my former colleagues get after me for my public opposition to that. Oh, they didn't they were like disapp- that? They were disappointed in my, my position. But, mm. I mean, I like the part where you could cut more taxes or you could uh, marshal federal funds in times of disaster that's higher than the 1% of the budget. It's just the spending at 5% which just seemed a bit much. There was also another global reorienting that I didn't I'm not I didn't play my hand before cuz I didn't want guff from you mm. my friend Greg. Uh, you, you hide but the ball from me a lot I've learned. I know, but I really needed the world to adjust in Salt Lake County to have a good democratic night. Well, they had a solid they had <laughs> a they solid did. night. I have that but I, that leaves me you can't show those voter turnout that who voted like the the more registered Republicans voted less unaffiliates which there's a lot of self-identified moderate and left of center voters. Susan- Inside Harrison of that, ran that was a good lower. Race. She, she had an amazing How eyes. in the world, and with a low voter turnout, which usually means okay, that people so are. Okay, so she ran against a multiple term incumbent with huge name ID. Yes, how? And, well, she's one of the best campaigners. She, you is. Ha- she, she was knocking hard. doors. Knocking doors, really present, moderate, in tune. I am really happy to see her because it was a countywide race. So that was everyone who lived in Salt Lake mm-hmm. County voted. So you had that flip. It went. And remember, the council is only. Um, a majority by one. So now the council flipped back to Democrat, and right? I'm I pretty think they sure. were up by two. After 22, I think they got I think they were up by two. So, so now we're totally so even. Yeah. Another okay, we'll take the tie. Yeah. And then um, another race one, I would have said Perfect. would be more competitive is six months ago when Daniela Aw, is that how she Danielle says? Danielle on. on. Yeah. I, she came out with this early gorilla ad what, like six, eight months ago. Yeah. yeah. And it was tough talk, and I thought, ooh, Sim, but Sim held, Rosie held, um, all I, of the I other was shocked by that. The, you know, if we do see, uh, na- if you see the national polls about what the, what big concerns there were nationally, and they were, they were they were shared by Utahns, whether it be the economy, inflation, but public safety and voter integrity, these were issues that were popping up as high priority issues. You would think that uh, that Sim Gill, as our county attorney, and uh, and uh, Sheriff Rosie Rivera and even uh, the, the clerk and being an open seat for county clerk, they would have been vulnerable to those concerns uh, because Democrats are running the show and uh, there would be this worry. And you wouldn't know enough about the county uh, candidates that are running against them because it's, it's so expensive to get your name out. So you can't say, well, they were good or bad candidates because you don't really know. You would think that the concern on the issue alone would drive a different outcome than Sim and all of them really sixty forty winning sixty forty. It's yeah, a, I mean, it's not just a win. A it's that people amazingly think their local large. elected officials are doing a good job. Yeah, and the interesting I, thing I is, think is crime I don't think is Republicans up. I think ran a very good candidate for sheriff. I don't. I don't there was not a lot to know about him. There's a lot. You no, know, Nick Roberts. He, there was a fundraising challenge with that race for sure. But I thought Danielle Ahn did a lot with the amount she was able. She raised, I thought, a decent amount. But again, it's hard in a, st- a countywide race. But I went back to twenty two where you had a, a Republican county council member who ran on almost nothing at all by way of uh, campaign dollars but the democrat uh, garboni she was an incumbent she lost and 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 you had to think there was just it was not because the the republican had convinced them to not vote for her but there was just this sentiment out there i thought that sentiment on those specific issues would have created very different races. Yeah, I think you also did see the incumbents step up work hard, right? It wasn't, yeah. it, no, there weren't many lazy races there. Everyone was no. working pretty hard. Yep. Last week when we came in, I saw Sim Gill had an interview here. Yes. And his face, his, his body, body 
language, he looked terrified. I thought, oh, I thought it was a good, it. I thought it was a good tell because he looked it. very he was worried. Selling inexperience, which I think Danielle on doesn't obviously have a lot yeah. of experience, yeah, and so um, maybe she'll run again. We'll have to watch that closely. And I, she's a good I'm, candidate. Yeah, I'll, I'd, I'd I'll like finish to the election well. week by just again saying thank you to Sherry Swinson, who gave thirty years of public service to the Salt Lake County Clerk. She's done a great job in this in this uh, this final election cycle. Yeah. Uh, before we leave local elections, I do want to at least give a shout out to um, anyone who's living in southern Utah or southeastern Utah, because that was the higher voter turnout. Uh, we haven't seen the last numbers, but it was above 70 percent in all those areas where the rest of the state was 30 percent below that. So thanks for showing up, guys. I'm glad somebody did. OK, so we've got to talk nationally. And this is where I get super confused as to what the heck happened, because everyone was expecting the red wave because we've come out of covid um, We've got inflation, crime's a problem across the country, all these things where you thought, you know, Republicans have to win, especially with how unpopular the president is right now. Uh, I think at least 70% of the country thinks we're heading the wrong direction. And now, wah, wah, wah. So what the heck happened? Should we let Greg go first on this? And when I say this, too, we started out the night where you thought the wave was going to happen, where we can talk about Florida in a second, but uh, Ron DeSantis and also the Senate seat with Rubio were clear, big wins, um, drastic wins over what they had the last time around. So you're looking at it and thinking, okay, this is going to be a wave, and no, it was Florida, and then yeah, there was no wave. I'll tell you, my my, my sincere emotion, I, I, I think Mara's going to roll her eyes when she hears it, but this is how I feel. Okay. I feel like I had a team. And, I, and my football team had, was a 10-point favorite, okay? And we were expected to win, win and win, not, maybe even handily. And I feel like as I sit here today, I'm in overtime. I'm in an overtime waiting for the outcome to still see whether we get the Republicans get the control of the House and Senate, which would be, by definition for me, an, a, a good wave because we had 20 United States Senate seats that were Republican-held that we had to defend, Democrats only had 13. From day one, everyone said that's a tougher election cycle for Republicans than it is for Democrats. We held 15 that we never had to put a dime towards. Three were, only two were toss-ups. Seven of the 13 Senate seats were toss-ups. But at the end of the day, if after the Georgia runoff, Republicans have taken control of the Senate and they have and also have control of the House, I will be satisfied that there was an appropriate midterm recoil and reset and I'll be happy. I won't say that it's a as big of a wave as I expected, but I will t- I will gladly take uh, Republicans taking control of the House and Senate. And w- that is yet to be determined as we sit here today. So, so I am in overtime in a race that I thought we were in a game I thought we were ahead by a big uh, You thought it was going to be an easy yeah. So you, like Evan McMullen, are declaring a moral victory. Uh, no, there's no moral. There's The game. So, the final score hasn't been okay, told yet. So, if, oh, if I knew the, the outcome right no, now, no, I could no. give you I, my final assessment, Greg, but we're in think, overtime. I still think they, that the Republicans are going to take the House, and it looks like the Senate's a toss-up to that. But right. we're talking about expected gains, because right now you're looking no, at having tentative control of both bodies. Correct. But what's amazing is we had, what, 63 votes change in Obama. Now, granted, he had just passed Obamacare. You had 40-plus in Trump era. So let's go with the old tropes we'd been using the whole so time, which Trump. is midterm is all about the presidency. Yeah. And what was weird about this is... This seemed to be despite the presidency, right? I don't think. Yes. And you even saw some measured with Obama. I mean, excuse me, with Biden. President Biden 
declared victory as he should, but he seems to understand it was almost despite all this. I just, it was unbelievable because I believe too, like DeSantis is the big winner. He's the national winner too. But watching all the other races that just never came to fruition, um, I think some good outcomes for me is that I think you saw the moderate middle of America on both sides trying to figure it out. I do think that the Republicans ended up with some bad candidates through. Was um, that President Trump's fault, as many are saying, or did they just have hey, bad candidates? Hey, there's no way. Former President Trump, When I you live say. in the world of politics, you have to abide by the spin of politics, and there is no way Trump had a good night. And what will be interesting is pre- prior to this, and he's still sticking with it, he said he's about to make a really big announcement on the 14th. I hope and he just, like, has a night in. Well, like, he maybe has Netflix to because he I think Democrats should pray that he does that. I think that is the greatest way to for Democrats yeah. to have a better Amen. advantage in, in, in Georgia in the runoff in December. Aid to the men. And to you know who I have on Trump my crazy right Trump team, too? DeSantis, because his biggest trouble right now is that Ron DeSantis is a better model of him. And Ron just had a really good night. Trump will spend a lot of good time and energy on him. <laughs> He's called I mean, him Ron DeSanctimonious, I think yes. is what he called him. I mean, it's, this it's is unnecessary. Like, I'll say I support President Trump. I always have, but I, it over is Ron unnecessary. Over Ron DeSantis? Right now, I don't, I don't know that Ron... I know Ron DeSantis amongst people that stay tr- track politics is clearly... Uh, heads and shoulders above Trump. Does he does he reach the everyday people that didn't care about politics before Trump ran? I don't. I'm not convinced that Ron DeSantis has made that that move yet. I don't think it's happened yet. And I think that is the unique nature of uh, President Trump that I've never seen in another candidate. But and he so, just checked off the last thing on his to do list before he can officially just run for president, right? I mean, he had to. I, I he think, had to run for governor but now there is no, no I agree with you I agree I, I think that could come but I think out of respect for the Florida voters he shouldn't be talking about running for president right away DeSant, Ron, Ron DeSantis One but I do think that to, I think that, that President Trump um, he's not going to, to strengthen the, the prospects of gaining the Senate for Republicans by winning the runoff in Georgia if it's about him and that's the con and all that's what all the focus is on instead of uh, Warnick, uh, Senator Democrat Senator Warnick, and then challenger Republican Herschel Walker. That needs to be the the focus. And I would hope a successful governor that ran Kemp, who's not a fan of of, of Trump, is out there trying to help uh, Herschel Walker win, which could be interrupted if if Trump decides to make. The Do you next have Trump's digits? Like, can you text him and ask him, like, hey, his, you can hold I know off, his son? Or? But you know what? It's just piling up. Like, like, let me tell you something. You think I'm going to tell them something they haven't heard? <laughs> you think anybody hasn't told them this? I'm, like, I'm, I'm honestly actually having that thought in my head the other night thinking, okay. Right. I'm, I'm like, people. I'm on the team, so you can just take what I'm saying is not, you know, is, is just not some gadfly. Like, I've been, you know that what you're going to do on Tuesday could potentially just really harm, you know, the, the overall cause. But then I think to myself, you know what? I, they they've got to be hearing this. They have yeah. got to. I'm just piling on, and it's and I, I think and while I know him, I don't know them on. that well. So you know, do you we'll think? See. Do you want him to run for president? Eventually, if it were the right race, if we if it's a battle of ideas, I love competitive races. I will take a competitive race in any primary amongst good candidates that want to have have it out. I love it. I don't have a problem with DeSantis and Trump running, both running. I I, I don't. What I what I don't want to see is a circular firing squad where we're just 
we're, we're making it so that whoever runs, we couldn't stand the other one if our candidate didn't win. That is a that is a recipe for disaster. With so like Obama and Hillary Clinton. I mean, that was really hard on the Democratic Party because it was interesting how that actually you were, was. Whether there you was were a, team Clinton or team Obama, you yeah. were almost more angry going in to the general election, right? I mean, I remember I have some really good friends. I really like President Obama, and I have some friends who have been in the Clinton White House and loyal to the Clintons for 20 years, and they were still so angry. Yeah, that it wasn't his his turn. turn. Yeah, Yeah. that that was, and and so that disrupted that election year, and I mean, that's what you're describing. Now, I also do think that Donald Trump is at his most vulnerable now because when he is angry, he is not... Good. And this is what I'll tell you. This is not a defense of Donald Trump. In fact, it's probably an indictment, and I don't mean it as either. I'm just going to give you the balls and strikes about Donald Trump as I've observed. The man does what he wants to do. Whatever his gut's telling him is where he's going to go. Now, he's won. He's become president of the United States. He has a good track record for following his gut. There's been moments where the political world said there's no chance, there's no way, there's no path, and he's ignored that because he went with his gut. That's what he's ultimately going to do. I don't know if that's going to work, but that's at the end of the day. There's no amount of information anyone's going to share with him where he's going to, at the end of the day, do what he thinks is right or what his gut tells him to do. And we're just we're just spectators out here waiting to see what that is. There's no there's no I don't know that you're wrong. Yeah. That's right. just it. That's Interesting. what's gonna happen. So we're rating right now for the balance of power. California's got a lot of seats they've got to decide. And I think they've gone through about half their votes, so it may be a long time before we know. Isn't all California just Democrat? I mean, is there a Republican? There are found some tight house races there. there. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I think they're maybe looking at some possible blowback in tighter races because of maybe how Newsom ran the pandemic. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Um what we're looking at now are Arizona and Nevada, and I think a lot of people thought Nevada was definitely going to go Republican, but the more votes that come in, it looks like it's actually getting closer and closer, and Democrats may take over. Uh, do either of you have feelings of which way this is going to go and done the science behind it? No, only what you say. The early votes look so solid. They were coming in really consistently, yeah. um, and now the last two or three tranches have all slightly etched up the Democrats. You're running out of precincts. So yeah. I looked last night. It was 90% reported in Nevada. And for the race for um, for Senate, Laxalt was up by, um, I want to say it was over 20,000 votes. Yeah. or Yeah, over 20,000 votes. And so you're running out. You have to overcome that. The, the amount of votes you need. It gets harder to, yeah, to yeah. catch up. If you, if you just, yeah, you just to get over that, you need a lot of d- more votes coming in. When you're at 90% reported, I think that gets harder to, that hill gets higher, higher to climb. But Clark County is Las Vegas. Las Vegas will come in very, very strong for the Democrat. That is what I'm told are the last votes that are being right. counted. So it could be very. They're within about eight thousand votes at this point. Yeah, so that's they've actually uh, gapped that. But how many? What's the percent? Do you see a percentage of precincts reported? Um, let's see, because I just did the whole Google Maps pulling up. So let's see, precincts. It says ninety percent reporting. Laxalt at forty nine percent, and then because I had a twenty something lead with ninety percent reported. So if he's if it's down to eight thousand, they've got to be north of that ninety percent. Uh, precincts and so it's just a race like do you have enough runway to overcome it we'll have to see but let's say let's say that that goes that way and um and then uh, mark kelly keeps his seat in the senate in arizona then then again because we're sitting republicans are sitting at 49 percent seats right now democrats are at 48 we'll be 50 50 with that stupid georgia runoff waiting to be done it's just so yeah it's 
When is that? December 10th? Yeah, I think, I'm just glad yeah. it's in December, not January, like two years ago. I just yeah. want to get this going. They just got to get this done. Yeah. I mean, they We don't want to enjoy the holidays with campaign. $300 plus million dollars poured into that state for that yeah. special election. There were two senators up in, yeah. that, in that race. And I'm looking just for fun at the Arizona Senate race, and Senator Mark Kelly is at almost 52% of the vote. Blake Masters is at 46%, and they're at about 78% reporting. I think they were thinking that a lot of these later votes would go Republican, but they haven't gone as Republican, I think, as they thought. No, this this race feels more secure for Kelly. Yeah. I mean, when you start doing the math. The Ke- I, Carrie Lake's a little closer. I mean, that could flip her way with the last votes coming in. However, I think on the Senate side, it's Yeah, that one's it's within 1% much decided. the governor's yeah. race. Interesting. Well, this has been an interesting and strange, weird year. Uh, out of the elections, interesting things going on last night, too. Um, a U.S. judge in Texas struck down the Biden loan forgiveness plan. And so I think going into the holidays, there's a lot of people probably thinking they were going to be getting rid of it <laughs> and they wouldn't have to be paying in the new year. But this seems like it's going to drag on in perpetuity. So if you were- I, I think we should all feel good about that, because at the end of the day, you, if you take this, you know, our, our separated and equal powers of the executive branch, legislative branch and judiciary, if the executive branch can start passing exe- or signing executive orders that actually appropriate money outside of the legislative branch, I, I, you've lost that separation of power. And I actually think it's it, it should be so fundamental that you can't sign an executive order that requires taxpayer money to be spent in ways that your legislative branch hasn't appropriated. Taking your personal feelings out of this, how yeah. is it going to end? How is what going to end? Uh, will, the, will the student I debt should, be wiped away? I, no, or I, don't, will, I, don't, I don't think it's a constitutional action. I think it, I think it violates the, the separation of powers. And I would say that without regard to what president and what they were trying to spend money on. And this is where my legislative service comes out. I, as a legislative member of the legislative branch, that's where the, the bills are appropriated and the dollars are spent. I think states do a better job of guarding that prerogative and that power than the federal government has or federal, that Congress and the Senate have. But it's clear. You can't, as a president, spend money. You need the, the Congress to, to pass those budgets. I'm doubtful it'll uh, make the legal threshold, but I do think it has made, and and Biden's momentum behind it has made this issue more viable as a legislative issue. Well, I'll tell you this. Even when we were talking about a, a, a red wave, it was always said that there were about five states and about 100,000 people within those five states that could really make it a wave or not. When you see the demographic of people 18 to 35 that voted, this was an undersampled group of, in the polls. Nobody there were a sampled, lot of young voters, yeah. Nobody sampled the 18 to 35-year-old registered voter to the degree in which they participated in these races. So I'm going to tell you, I would, I would attribute more than – because I reject the, the bad candidate story. So if, Fetterman wins, if John Fetterman wins for the Democrats, I do not want to hear that you know, they had better candidates because I just don't – I don't buy the better candidate story. I do buy – that the 18 to 35 year old voter getting engaged and active in voting absolutely had a, a, a measurable influence and on these elections. Here's what's interesting I've seen two breakdowns on the issues, and it was largely reproductive rights, um, some sort of women's yeah. health care issue. And I define that a little from abortion because it seems like it's a broader discussion of the younger. Um, and the environmental packaging issues were yeah. an enormous motivator, which within, means... Within that demographic or just broadly? Within the demographic, those were the two motivators, which it means people like John Curtis, who are saying that the environment can't just be a left issue, probably are in a really important position right. for the rest of the Republican Party to listen to. Yep. You never came into my podcast. I'm really what? disappointed if you're listening, Congressman Curtis. Congressman Let's get Curtis. you in again quick. Yeah. I'll text him. Yeah. I'll All right. 
Let him know. I'll tell him he's missing out. All right. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to be really <laughs> sad if <laughs> he didn't come in. Do you in. think he wants to be with all three of us? Do you think, I think that's so. what he's holding that out for? That would be fun. Maybe we should get each of our congressional yes. members in here with all three of us asking You know questions. what? That would yes. be fun. Yeah. I, I'm I, sure I'll they're all going to be balls, signing up. You throw the fast pitch. I'll, I will skip. And then you're the umpire. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm throwing fastballs. Balls throw, yeah, and you're the ump. You have to yeah. call the balls and strikes. Okay. All right. all right. This could be interesting. Well, this is fun. And uh, good news, we'll get to talk about the election next week, too, because okay. it's not over yet. So I actually cannot. I'll just say, the long, if you, you don't have an immediacy of vote of, of the, from the time you vote to the time you hear an, out, an outcome, it does weigh on voters' minds. I wish we could find a way to to do this where we could get these votes done in a more expeditious way. It weighs way. on our minds. Voters are already living their lives, Greg. I don't know. I think some people are waiting for the balance of power question. And I, I, so I don't know. I think, I think waiting to, for like Maricopa to come in and stuff. I just think that it feeds into the worries of, uh, of voter integrity. And I just think it's an unnecessary, you know, worry. I think if we could get this done in a more, uh, in a quicker fashion, how did, if we think that, that, that Florida was a, it was a great template, they did. They counted seven and a half million votes in three to five hours. I I want that version. Okay, I, I want to do it that it way. It was an easier race to call too because of the spread. I think yeah. between the candidates, but they did yeah. the whole state. They had I races think that showing were cares upsets. Maybe not going to be something I'm going to complain about with. Uh, I don't know that time is, is exactly care. Like they're going. They're they're leaving. Well, the, hey, here's the you nice. Know, you know, some took we don't need Veterans to Day off to count. Utah. They didn't even count in, on Veterans Day. What people yes. were taking vacations. While we're waiting for the vote, we got to get the vote out. You got to get it out. None Sorry, of, I know we're just landing this, this plane and I just went off. Sorry. Anyway, because, it because it is the official canvas that we're all really waiting for. It okay. is true. Sorry. So it's not official yet. We'll meet again next week and discuss this. <laughs> and I'm sure uh, there will be more uh, dumpster fires to put out. It'll probably still be OT, overtime, over waiting for time. that field goal to decide the game. I know. It's not a fun way to end. But thanks for joining us. We'll be back to disappoint you and thrill you all the same <laughs> next week. 